The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Ephesians chapter 6, from verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. <coughs> Excuse me. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Good to be with you guys. My name is Jimmy. Uh, if I haven't met you before, uh, it's, great to, it's great to be with you guys. I'm from LCC Caloundra. Uh, if you're not aware of who LCC Calandra is or what that means, uh, about two years, I've been more than two years ago, LCC Northlakes planted my wife and I out of here and we went and moved to Calandra and started a church up there. So that's where Kyle is today. He's speaking on the same series that we, uh, um, that you guys are in today uh, on, uh, on in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. It was really great to be with you guys. Um, and I, I was just thinking about like how old do you have to be when you uh, stop getting invites to a young adults event? When your kids start going to a young adults event, so I think I've still got a few more years. Uh, but I did get last week one of our young adults was organising a thing at her place last night, and uh, Kirsty and I got an invite, and we were like, "Really? <laughs> you sure you want us?" And then she was like, "Well, I figured I should invite you because you guys, you know, you're the pastor." And I was like, "It's cool. We don't have to come. It's okay." Um, but I really kind of started to feel old when I was like, "Oh, it's okay. We don't want to come and cramp your style, you young adults." For those of you, of you who don't know, I'm 36. I've looked like I'm about 40 since I was about 22, and so um, I only have the beard because if I shave the beard, I'll look like, you know, like here up, I look like I'm 44-year-old. From here down, without a beard, I look like I'm 12, and so I keep the beard just to keep everything in perspective and stop your brain from folding in half. Um, I should open my notes and get to that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. You have told us who you are, God, in these pages. And so, Lord, we don't want to neglect that. We don't want to disregard that. We don't want that to slip away from anything else other than being the most important thing that we could ever read or lay our hands on, Father. Say, Jesus, help us to be careful with your word today. Help us to know that what we are about to read has not been made up by man. But these words have come from you, O God. These are eternal words. 
words written, penned a couple thousand years ago, yet spectacularly relevant for us today. So Jesus, we ask for your help today. Holy Spirit, could you come and, and reveal just who you are to us, reveal uh, the Son to us, point us towards how wonderfully glorious and wonderful you are. Help us to see that, Lord. We, we cannot see that without you, Holy Spirit, opening our eyes to that. So, Lord, open our eyes. That's our prayer. Amen. One of my uh, favorite uh, books, stories of all time, is called The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Has anyone ever read Pilgrim's Progress? A bunch of you? Great. If you haven't read it, I, can I encourage you to read it? If you go to Kurong, you can find the original version. You can also find uh, a bit more of a modern English version, which is a bit easier to get through. But can I encourage you to go and read that book? It's wonderful. It's, about a, story, it's a story about a man named Christian, who in the very beginning of the story, he is confronted with the stark realities of sin and goes on a quest to find salvation. And in one of the most thrilling parts of the book, Christian finds himself in the Valley of Humiliation and he is confronted with the great and evil enemy, Apollyon. And the two of them go to battle. Let me just read to you up the section from chapter 4. Then Apollyon, espying his opportunity, began to gather up close to Christian and wrestling with him gave him a dreadful fall. And with that, Christian's sword flew out of his hand. Then, said Apollyon, I am sure of thee now. And with that, he had almost pressed him to death so that Christian began to despair of life. But, as God would have it, while Apollyon was fetching of his last blow, thereby to make a full end of this good man, Christian nimbly reached out his hand for his sword and caught it, saying, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. He got that from Micah 7. And with that he gave him a deadly thrust, which made him give back as one that has received his mortal wound. Christian, perceiving that, made at him again, saying, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. He got that from Romans 8. And with that, Apollyon spread forth his dragon wings and sped away that Christian saw him no more. We are in a series at the moment called Fearless where we're looking at a very crucial passage in God's Word known as the armor of God. And quite simply, Scripture affirms that there is an invisible spiritual battle going on with God on the one side and His unequal and inferior yet malicious, evil and scheming enemy Satan on the other. And that enemy of God does not want us to know how exceptionally wonderful God is. He doesn't want sinners to know that God loves us and that our only hope of rescue comes from the extraordinarily generous message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want us to know that life is only possible through Jesus Christ. He doesn't want this enemy of God, Satan, doesn't want us to know about the unconditional grace of God. He wants us to think that we can save ourselves by our efforts and that we don't need God. And he schemes and he plans to separate us from God. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, that probably sounds very weird. 
Like, it's, like it belongs in some kind of supernatural thriller. And, and you're right. It is weird. But if you think that's weird, you should hear what else we believe as Christians. We believe that the God of heaven loves us. We believe that the God of heaven sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. We believe that Jesus actually is God, somehow. And that he offered his life up as a willing sacrifice for us. He took our place so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins and and be actually made righteous, washed clean. And regardless of whether we feel it or not, we are actually righteous because we've put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we can be here and sing songs like, Yet not my will, but yours, Lord. Yet not through me, but what, what Christ has done in me. What, not me, but what Christ has done in me. Regardless of how we feel, if, we are, if our faith is in Jesus Christ, we are children of God. That's a lot stranger than spiritual warfare. Nevertheless, spiritual warfare is what we're talking about this morning. The writer of this letter, Paul, has been telling his readers about how God has given us his armor to protect us in spiritual battle. And for the past few weeks, uh, LCC Norfolk and LCC Calandra has been, have been looking at the armor of God. And today we come to the sword. Verse 17, Paul says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we're going to look at this command in the four parts that it comes to us in, very simply. Part one, we're going to look at the sword. Part two, we're going to look at the spirit. Part three, we're going to look at the word, the word of God. And then part four, we're going to look at what it means to take it. So firstly, let's look at this sword. It's a pretty telling fact that this list of the armor of God includes a sword, right? Like if you look at all the other pieces of armor listed, they are all mostly defensive, but the sword's primary purpose is offensive. And this tells us that there is a spiritual warfare, there is an element of spiritual warfare where we we are called to actually fight. We are called to actually wound. We are called to actually put to death. We are not called to run and hide. We are called to stand firm, be brave, and actually retaliate. The word that Paul uses here for sword is this Greek word, machairen which refers to a short sword around 50 to 60 centimeters long or 20 to 24 inches for our American friends. For a Roman soldier, when they would approach the front lines of their enemy ranks, their mechirons would be in their sheath at their side and they would use these large wooden spears called pikes to break through the front lines of the, own, of the enemy. And only once they had broken through those front lines, once, once they were well and truly within enemy territory, when they were close with their enemy, when they were up close, when they could see the color of their eyes, they could smell their breath, only then would they reach for their mechairin. And Paul is telling us that the kind of fight that we are called to fight is up close and personal. It's the kind of fight where, it, where, where it's most risky, where we are most vulnerable. We have a fight on our hands. If you're here and you're a Christian, your approach to anything that separates you from God cannot be passive. Let me say that again. If you're here and you're a Christian, your approach to anything that separates you from God cannot be passive. You must fight it. You must inflict wounds upon it. You must put it to death. We have a fight on our hands. We must engage in the fight for our faith. 
Now, just in case some of you are getting a little bit excited about the sword and you're like, yes, I cannot wait to go to work tomorrow and just, have, and just unleash on that, on that person who I work with who has a different opinion about vaccines than me. Oh, man, I got all the ammunition I need from my pastor and son. It's so good. This is going to be so great. No, this is not what this is talking about. Because Paul has already told us who the enemy is. He says in verse 12, the wrestle is not with flesh and blood. In other words, the the wrestle is not with people. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have a wrestle with flesh and blood of some sort, because we obviously do. But what Paul is saying is that underneath the physical world which we can see is a spiritual world which we can't see. And in that spiritual world is the enemy of God and his servants, and their aim and desire is to separate us from God, or to keep us separate from God if that is our current present condition. So we're called to have the sword, to put something to death. So, so what are we called to put to death? What things should we inflict wounds upon? What should make us draw the sword? Well, if we look at our text, the only thing we can assume that Paul is talking about here is the schemes of Satan, which are designed to separate us from God. And these schemes of Satan, they are varied. They are, they are often customized for each person, and they are many. And I could give you a whole lot of different schemes of Satan, but let me just give you three. I had a list of six originally, but let me just give you three right now. One of Satan's schemes is a struggle with present and recurring sin. You're tempted and you're enticed regularly. And to your shame, you fail regularly, even though you know that that sin leads to death. You hate your sin. You wish that you didn't have to struggle against this kind of sin. This kind of temptation, I often think about it like a sin, sin tempting us is kind of like a tray of, of fresh, warm cinnamon donuts. You know that smell when you're walking through Westfield and you go past Donut King and just, oh, it doesn't matter what diet you're on. You're like, oh my goodness, that sound, that smells incredible. And so you... There's this tray of hot, fresh cinnamon donuts, and there's a little sign next to them saying, beware, these cinnamon donuts are laced with poison. And we scratch our chins and we go, oh, is it worth it? Just like just one nibble, right? That's, that's all it'll take. I, and then I'll be satisfied. And you have a little nibble, you're like, oh, that was, that was better than I thought it was going to be. I've already had a nibble, maybe one more bite. I might as well have the whole donut then. You know what? Just take the whole tray. That's what sin is like. It's poison. It's sugary donuts, but it's poison. And we know this. It leads to death. And that sin must be put to death. It must, we, must, we have to kill it. Another scheme is the comforts and pleasures of the lifestyle that you're pursuing and your relationship with God is being slowly and imperceptibly cooled by the pursuit of your best life now. People often tell me, oh man, it must be so easy to plant a church at the Sunshine Coast. Here's often what I want to say to those people. If you were right now sitting on Moffat Beach, sipping a latte in the sun, working on your tan, reading a good book, there are people who are doing that right now. Do you really think those people are sitting there thinking, oh, I need to be saved from this? Comfort. And there's nothing wrong with comfort. There's nothing wrong with having a nice 
lifestyle, but if our pursuit of that is more important to us than, than the pursuit of anything else, if we love comfort more than we love anything else, take it from somebody who lives in paradise, that will rot your faith. We must take the sword to our love of comfort. Here's one more. And this one's a biggie. Unhealthy self-interest. I come across this all the time, we become, where we become so focused on ourselves that we carefully curate every little aspect of our lives so that all the things in our lives are first and foremost about me. I'm only going to do something if I can see that it's beneficial to me. I'll only go to life group if I can, if I can see that it's beneficial to me. I'll only go to church if I can see that it's, if it's, if I can see that it's beneficial to me. If there's a better option, if there's something more appealing, I'm going to take that. That there is pervasive. I see it all the time. It is hard to, de- to, de- to detect. It is widespread and it is unbelievably damaging to our faith. And that must be put to death. These things, amongst many more, are the reasons why God has given us a sword. These things, these, these things that separate us from God, they have to be killed. They have to be destroyed. So we're given a sword. But where does this sword come from? And this is really part two. And that's the important question we have to ask. Because that's what Paul goes on to say. Where does this sword come from? The answer is it comes from the Spirit of God. When Paul says that the sword is of the, sword is of the Spirit, what it means is that it comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the source or the origin of the sword. One of my favorite scenes from the Lord of the Rings movies, uh, in the third one, the, the Return of the King, is when Elrond, the leader of the elves in Rivendell, gives the, goes on the long journey at the request of his daughter to deliver a special sword to Aragorn, the King of Gondor. Any Lord of the Rings fans here? Yeah, a few people. Cool. All right. I'm, I'm among some friends. That's great. The rest of you are dead to me. <laughs> no, you're not. You're all right. Elrond comes with his sword. You might remember the scene. I've got a picture over there. Elrond comes with his sword and produces it and gives it to Aragorn. Andrew, flame of the west, forged from the shards of Narsil. You see, this isn't just any sword. He didn't travel all this way for nothing. Aragorn already had a sword. This sword had been forged from another, another, another sword, the shards of Narsil the blade that had been handed down to every single king of Gondor, and now it's come to Aragorn, the rightful heir of the throne. And for those who are familiar with the movie, you'll know this sword is important to their victory. It's not just that it's a good sword. It's the source or the origin of the sword that makes this sword more than just a piece of steel. And friends, we need to hear this. Our Bibles are more than just words on paper. They are the very words of God. Breathed out by him, says Paul in 2 Timothy. Those who wrote the Bible were carried along by the Holy Spirit, says Peter. The words that are found in the Bible find their source and their origin in God himself. If you're here and you're a Christian, you should know, sorry, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you should know that one day when you do become a Christian, your Bible is going to be one of your most sacred possessions. Our Bibles are sacred. Our Bibles are big. Our Bibles are meaningful. Our Bibles are heavy. No other object in our house 
should garner as much reverence from you than your Bible. Why? Because our Bibles are the words of God, the God who saved us, the God who sent his son to die on a cross for our sins, the God who did everything to have us, and it cost him everything to have us. His words, our beloved's words, are in this book. The sword that Paul tells us to take is not, is not just any sword. It is the sword of the Spirit because the Spirit of God gives it and inspires it. And not only is the Holy Spirit the giver of the, of the sword, the Holy Spirit also trains us in how to use it. We need the Holy Spirit's help for understanding God's Word. Jesus told his disciples that when the, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And elsewhere, Paul says that the Holy Spirit acts to remove the veil from our eyes so that we can understand God's word and behold his glory in his word and be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ by his word. This is why some people can read God's word and say, this is ridiculous and we should, we should discard it. And others can read God's word and say, this is ridiculous and I want in. Because the Holy Spirit guides us as we open up his word. When we open up God's word, start talking to God. Say, hey, God, you've got to show me what this means. You've got to show me how to apply this. If you're here and you're a Christian, it's because the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to the truth that is found exclusively in God's word. If you're here and you'd like to become a Christian, it's because you have read or heard something about Jesus from his word and the Holy Spirit is currently opening your eyes to see how wonderful Jesus is. And if that's you, I would love to talk to you after the service. We're going to have some time of prayer after the sermon, after during the worship. Come and get some prayer. If that's you, come and be prayed for. So we've learned so far that we've been given a sword, and that sword has been given to us by the Holy Spirit, and he guides us as we use it. He, know, he shows us how sharp it is, and how he shows us how to wield it. Our third point is that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So in Hebrews, the author says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the, of the heart. Have you ever held a knife or a blade that was so sharp that it just kind of scared you a little bit? A few years ago, a friend of mine was getting all of his knives sharpened, and so he said, hey, why don't you throw yours in, and uh, we you can get yours done for free. So he, we got these knives sharpened, and then he returned them to me, and we had them in our kitchen, and they legitimately scared me. Like, I would pick up this knife, and just knowing how sharp this knife is, well, I was like, whoa, I really should not be holding this knife. Like a sharp knife, we, you, you're careful around a sharp knife, Right? Like surgeons with scalpels. They're not like, wee, throwing the scalpels in the air. They're careful because it's sharp and it can cut. Can you imagine if, if every single Christian in the world had that same attitude towards the Word of God? Like we're, we're, we were, that we were careful with it, we held it and we treated it the same way that we would treat a scalpel? Can you imagine if every Christian in here today, if we all thought that? I think the church would go through a radical reformation just with that simple change of heart. The sword of the Spirit, which is the piece of the armor of God, which we are called to take up, is the razor-sharp word of God. It's what deals the mortal blows against the schemes of Satan. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God.
The sword of the Spirit is not our passion for God. The sword of the Spirit is not our conviction of its truth. The sword of the Spirit is not even spiritual gifts, and I'm all for that. The sword of the Spirit is not our theological prowess. The sword of the Spirit is not our works. The sword of, our, of the Spirit is not our history. It's not our profound and clever philosophical thoughts. The sword that has been given to us is the Word of God. That's the piece of armor that we've been given. That's the, that's the weapon we've been handed. And that is precisely why the enemy wants us to keep the sword in its sheath. Satan wants us to think that the sword is blunt. Satan wants us to think that the sword is irrelevant. Satan wants us to hesitate just before we grab it and for us to think, maybe there's something else I could reach for. He wants us to be convinced that we actually can't use it, that we should leave it to the professionals. Why does Satan want those things? Why doesn't he want us to use the sword? Because he knows how sharp it is. And he knows that it will wound him. And he fears its sting. Satan knows that even in the freshest and feeblest and most inexperienced hands, God's word can still wound him. And this is why we want to be in God's word all the time. Not just every now and then, but all the time. This is why we want our kids to, to pick up God's word. Parents, we should teach our kids, don't play with knives. This one's the exception. Let them play with it. Let them pick it up. Teach it to them. Show it to them. Read it with them. Show them the contents page. Show them how to find their way through it. Show them what chapter numbers mean. Show them what verse numbers mean. Show them how to use it. If you want your child to be trusting in God's word when they're 16, show them how to use it when they're six. Teach it to them. Show it to them. Show them that you trust it. Show them that you think it's the most trustworthy thing in your house. It's a source of deep sadness for me. How, how many Christians, sorry, how few Christians actually trust the word of God. And I mean that word, I use that word trust specifically there. Like we all might agree that it's good, that, you know, it's true, whatever, but do we actually trust it? Like, do, are we relying on it to hold us together? I know pastors who take great strides to explain away the parts of the Bible that are hard to understand or that are offensive, particularly in this day and age. They pick and they choose from it as if they stand above God's word and judgment of it. They hesitate to reach for it, opting to quote from another pastor or from another book just to make it a bit easier to swallow. And whether that's done outrightly or deliberately or subtly, the message is this. God's word can't be trusted. Best you rely upon your wisdom or mine. It's therefore no surprise that so many Christians can't stand up to the temptations to sin. They can't see how their love for God and their love for the world are incompatible and all they care about is themselves. This is why Paul says in Romans 8, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit 
you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Or as the Puritan John Owen says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. The schemes of Satan need to be dealt a mortal blow. And if you're trying to do that without God's word, then it's your faith that will actually suffer that mortal blow. I've had this conversation way too many times. I'll sit down with a, with a Christian and they'll tell me, Listen, I've just been wrestling through my faith, with, with a whole lot of faith stuff. I've been wrestling. I don't even know if I believe this stuff anymore. Now, is there anything wrong with, with wrestling stuff in our faith? No, not at all. In fact, that's exactly what we've been talking about here. It's often in the wrestle that God does his greatest sanctifying work. But I've had these conversations with people who tell me that they're wrestling in their faith and they're not sure what to believe anymore. And I've learned to ask this question. In your wrestle, have you been in God's word? It's a really simple question, but more often than not, the answer is no. I've come across too many people who tell me I'm wrestling in the faith, but actually what they're doing is listening to, listening to podcasts with the Bible closed. And what they're doing is they're taking in all these new world views, they're taking, in all, taking on all these things, and their Bibles are closed. And they're pitting these new philosophical ideas against what they remember from Sunday school. And if you're going to call that a wrestle, you've got to admit actually what you're doing is you're tying one wrestler's arms behind his back. It's not wrestling, it's match fixing. You're rigging the fight. Friends, you've got to hear this. The wrestle is good. You've got to wrestle with it. You've got to trust God's word. If you're going to wrestle though, wrestle with God's word in your hand and God's people by your side. Because if you're wrestling away from those two things, your faith is going to struggle. Some of you need to hear this. It's not enough that you come to a Bible preaching church. If you think, oh, I go to an Acts 29 church, they're, you know, they're reformed, they're solid on the Bible, gospel-centered, all that kind of stuff, it's really good, so therefore I don't really need to, meet, I don't really need to read my Bible anymore. You're wrong. It's not enough for you to attend a Bible-preaching church. You need to be in God's Word yourself reading it devotionally, asking God the Spirit to open your eyes to see His glory and for your own sanctification. The greatest gains and victories that I've ever had in my faith, I can only credit to what God has done through the ongoing, regular, and consistent pattern of reading God's Word daily and devotionally. That's my only defense. If I, if I take that out of the picture, I'm lost. Friends, if your Bible reading is pus, make today the day that all changes. Don't put it off. There's no time to lose. If you're sitting here going, that sounds really great. I'll start doing this tomorrow morning. No. Do it this afternoon. Don't... Don't put it off. Don't sit here hoping that you know, in one year's time, hopefully I'll be in a much better pattern of it. Make today the day that, that, that changes. We need to take up God's word. We must not leave it in its sheath. <clears throat> so what does that look like? What does it look like to obey the command to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God? And there's lots that I could say here. But one thing you could do is this afternoon, go home and read Matthew 4. The part of the Bible where Jesus is led into the wilderness and is tempted by Satan. 
read through it and underline the three times that, it, that Jesus says, it is written. And ask yourself, why does Jesus say it is written? Because if this is the word of God and Jesus is God, why didn't he just say, I've already said? Why does Jesus say it is written? And I think the reason why Jesus says it is written is because he actually read it. That Jesus was actually familiar with God's word. That Jesus actually knew how to navigate the Old Testament. Knew how to navigate that stuff. And if Jesus is familiar with God's word, and Jesus needs that in the fight against Satan and his temptations, how much more you and I. So what does it look like to obey the command to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God? Here are four things that we can do. Firstly, read it. As simple as that. Be in it every day. And I'm not just talking about the verse of the day being sent to your inbox and you taking 25 seconds to quickly read through it. Let your time in God's word dictate what the rest of the day holds. Prioritize it. Plan your day around it. That might mean setting your alarm clock a little bit earlier. And that might mean going to bed a little bit earlier. And that might mean you have to watch one less episode of Friends each night. Or something. Prioritize your day around it. Pick a book of the Bible, read through it. Read through it at a pace you can manage. If you don't have very good Bible reading patterns right now and you think, okay, sweet, I'm going to do 10 chapters a day for the next three months, you're not going to do that. We all know that's not true. Do it at a pace you can manage. Do it at something that is reasonable that you can actually achieve. Pick a book of the Bible and just work your way through it. Sometimes it might mean sitting down and reading one book of the Bible all in one go and just seeing how, seeing how, your, how your soul reacts to that. Sometimes it means sitting down for half an hour and reading one verse and analyzing every single word. Why did John use that word? Why did Paul say it that way? Why does Jesus say this? There are plenty of helpful devotionals and reading plans around that, you can, help, that can help you. Go to Kurong, buy something, invent, put some money into it. If you, there, there are some good ones, there are some bad ones out there. And just as a bit of a hint, if the author's face is on the front of it, don't buy that one. <laughs> All right? Use the author who doesn't want them to be the front and center, okay? Approach someone else. Approach a brother or sister in, in, in faith and say, hey, can we read this together? I'm struggling with this. Can, can we sit down once a fortnight and just read through Matthew together? Is that okay? Because I don't know how to do this, actually. If you want prayer for something like this as well, the floor's going to be open. Like, seriously, come and get some prayer about that. Just for the sake of saying, hey, I actually got a problem here. I've been a Christian for 15 years and I've never had a really good pattern of reading God's word. And right now I'm admitting by coming out for prayer, I'm admitting that I've got a problem. And that might, make, that might just be a really important first step for you. So that's first point of application. Second point is meditate on it. Don't just read past it, but let it bog you down a bit. A helpful way that I've been taught from other pastors about meditating on God's word is to let what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16 ask you the questions that you need to ask of it. So in that verse, Paul says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training, for that the man of God may, may, be, may be complete. 
And so ask yourself these questions. Teaching, what is this saying? As you're reading through a passage, what is this teaching me? Reproof, how does this passage, how does the scripture critique the way that I'm living my life right now? Correction, how does this correct my path? How does this bring me back on track? And training, how does this prepare me for what, for what today holds? There are plenty of other methods, but this is a one, that I, one that I've found really helpful. Point number three here, pray it. Sometimes we find it hard to pray and the words don't come naturally. Praying through Scripture is a wonderfully edifying practice as we realize that the Lord's word does not return to him void, but actually accomplishes the purpose for which he sent it. By praying through Scripture, God's words become our words returning to him in prayer. It's a simpler case of opening God's word and reading what he's written there, particularly in the Psalms is helpful. And just saying those psalms back to God, phrased in such a way that they're actually coming from you. That can help you teach. That can help teach you how to pray. And then fourthly, memorize it. Pick a verse and try and commit it to memory. If you started memorizing one verse per week from today, then by the end of this year, you'll have memorized 32 verses from the Bible. Almost all of Romans 8, for instance, as an example. Now, I've got to confess, I'm not good at this, at the memorization part of it. And I used to hide behind the excuse for a long time that I'm just not very good at memorization. But actually, that's a, that's a load of rubbish because I can remember lines from The Simpsons that I watched 14 years ago. So I can remember one-liners. Friends, we've got to take the sword of the Spirit. It's been given to us. We've got to take it up. We've got to read God's word. We've got to meditate on God's word. We've got to pray God's word. And we've got to commit God's word to memory. Why? Because there's an enemy who wants nothing more than to separate us from God. He wants nothing more than for us to think that God's word is blunt. We have to fight in our faith. May we take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and may God's word be on the lips of his people. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.